deadline on Oak Street, aisle three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin, and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Bidding war at the offer's counter in five minutes. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com. G'day, everyone. Lauren Cress, the business scientist here. Hope you're doing well since last week. Look at me. I'm back with another podcast within a week. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) I really enjoy putting last week's podcast together. And thank you for the really super positive response on LinkedIn. Um, I put up some clips from, so I'm just like recording the podcast like on video as well and uh, I put up a couple of clips from that and I think that was really good actually because like to just highlight a few things from if you don't have time to watch the whole podcast you can just listen to a few of the um, the clips sort of like the main points. So this week I want to talk about taking risks and the assumptions we make and three types of assumptions that we talk about with the humanistic approach in counseling. Um, I think it's going to be a really awesome episode. Awesome? Awesome? (laughs) Awesome episode. Uh, My cat, I think, is going to try to join us on the podcast at some point. Yep. That's her just jumping up to say hello. Come on, come and say hello. If you're watching on camera, if you're not watching on camera, then, yeah, you can't see her, but she's here. She's on my lap. Um, so I'd like to take a minute to um, acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples living and working on the land today, the land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land and Mia and I are on Gadigal land but Mia can't say that she just says Mia (laughs) so um I guess where I'd like to start with this is like what does it actually mean to take a risk like what is risk and it's interesting because if you look up the definitions or the definition of risk um a lot of it focuses on like insurance and finance and stuff and I'm like, no, nah, let's like take a step back. So I'm just going to read the sort of, um, I guess there was there was a few things that stood out to me in the things I looked up. Um, I didn't like the Merriam-Webster definition. Um, it, it says like someone or something that creates or suggests a hazard, um, peril, possibility of loss or injury. Um, the chance of loss or the perils to the subject matter in an insurance contract, um, the degree of probability of such a loss, a personal thing that is specif- is a specified hazard to an insurer. Like that's very um, specific to insurance. Um, I liked the idea of looking at the different types of risk. Um, so... But, again, it's very business-focused, a lot of these examples. There was one that I came across and I was like, yeah, that's this is, this is more what we're talking about because risk is about, like, the things. It's not just about action, right? It's also about inaction. Um, and let's see if I can find it uh, again. 
if you look up risk also, the funny thing is, is the game comes up first. Uh, a situation involving exposure to danger. I quite like that. That's from Oxford Dictionary. Expose, someone or something valued to danger, harm or loss. Um, what else have we got here? Um, I think that's, oh, this one. In simple terms, risk is the possibility of something bad happening. Risk involves uncertainty about the effects and implications of an activity with respect to something that humans value, often focusing on negative, undesirable consequences. Many different definitions have been proposed. That's from Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia um, because it's got usually, because it's an open source platform, I think it has people actually updating it and really thinking about, okay, how do we refine this more and more? Um, the Economic Times has implies future risk implies future uncertainty about deviation from expected earnings or expected outcomes. That's quite useful too. I think all of those things are really the big thing with it to me is it's very subjective. Like you can have uh, calculated like risk can be very positive. Risk can be a very positive thing. But then our perception of risk also can get in the way. Like sometimes what we think is risky isn't that risky and what we don't think is risky is quite risky as well. Um, and that's going to have a lot to do with the assumptions that we make about the world um, and what we should do and what causes what. So I want to talk about these three different types of assumptions called the paradigmatic assumption, the prescriptive assumption and causal assumptions as well. But let's just slow down for a second and talk about our own sense of risk. So we're constantly making decisions based on, you know, what we think we're likely to gain or what we think we're likely to lose. And a lot of the time we're more we're more likely to want to, a lot of people prefer to hold on to what they already have and they're much more um, worried about loss than they are about what they have to potentially gain. So I can't remember who wrote about this, but there's like this sort of analogy of like, you know, so say you have a, um, you want to motivate a salesperson and you go, all right, like I'm going to give you a bonus first, but if you don't perform, we're going to take it away. So it's assumed that you have the bonus or, you know, I'm going to get you a new car, say, for instance, that's yours. You can have it. You can start using it. You can start using that car. You can start using that money. But if you don't perform, then I'm going to take it out of, I'm going to take the car away. Or I'm going to take that bonus out of your next paycheck, right? People are much more likely to be motivated that a lot of the time. Some people aren't. We have this bias towards like it's called loss aversion, right? We don't want to lose things. Um, on the other hand, if I said I will give you extra money or I will give you the new car if you perform, people are less likely to be motivated by that because there's no sense of risk there. It's a bonus. It's an add-on to what you already have. So there's a lot to be said for the, that's the same thing, but it has a big impact on behavior. And what I'm particularly interested in is like what got me thinking about this because this morning I was sitting there going I was at the coffee shop and I was like what do I want to talk about this week like last week I had a very clear idea of what the podcast was going to be about I was like what do I want to talk about this week and um I think it was about a week ago my girlfriend said to me 
gee, you've got a really high appetite for risk. And I was like, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't say that I do. And she's like, yeah, because you'll, you know, you'll jump into something and you're willing to take the risk. But then, you know, so I guess things like starting a business. I also recently did some investments in cryptocurrency that have really paid off. And I'm like, um, yeah, but I don't see those as risky things. I don't see it as risky to like stake a couple of grand towards something and then take that back out again. That doesn't seem like risky. I'm like, the thing that does seem risky is like buying a car, buying a new car that as soon as you drive it out of the lot, it loses the amount of money that I just invest. So say it loses 5K. I'm like, I would rather invest 5K than like buy a new car that loses 5K as soon as I drive it out of the lot. Like that doesn't that doesn't make logical sense to me. It's not even a risk. It's like a known thing. It's not like, oh, will the car lose value? It's like, no, the car loses value like straight away. Why would you do that? What is the point of doing that? Versus something you go, okay, look, I'm, I'm happy to lose this. If I lose this, I lose this. But I think this is going to make me more money. 80% chance it's going to pay off. Oh, look at that. It pays off. I, I get my 5K back. Like, so I didn't see investing money as risky. And I didn't see starting a business as risky because it's the same thing, right? Like, oh, okay, like worst case scenario, I can I can get a job, like um, which I did. And like running a business is hard. And I'm not saying every, it's for everyone, but it's like if you said to someone, okay, like you could buy a new car. I don't know why I keep using, I'm on the new car track this morning, <laughs> new car, but like, okay, you buy a new car. Um, what's it going to do for you? Like say, let's say you buy a new car for 30 grand. It loses 5, 5K as soon as you drive it out of the lot. It loses another 5K over the next year or two that you have it. I don't know heaps about cars, so I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying that's what it would be. So that's 10, 10K that you've lost that you won't ever get back. Like if you sell the car, it's worth 20K. The car might have gotten you a few places, but did it really save you 10K worth of money, right? Um, like what are you buying? And I think a lot of the time, I'm just going to put my cat down. She's sick of she's sick of us now. She's, she's going. Um, a lot of the time what we're buying is status. We're not buying like an asset, but it seems as though we are. Like it's not, from my perspective, I don't understand how it would be a good investment, um, but I am not a financial advisor. So please do not take any, I'm not saying it from a financial perspective. I'm talking about it from a risk perspective. So it's like sometimes the things that people do, I don't understand because I'm like, well, that's that doesn't pay off. But at the same time, there's so much to gain from other things, but it means that you have to be motivated to gain. And that's quite different to this thing of loss aversion, right? Like um, it's the same with, uh, I was talking to one of my Uber drivers the other day, we were chatting about mortgages, right? And he was saying how he's like, oh, I'm so glad that I got out of like my mortgage. I had a mortgage. I don't have a mortgage now. Best decision I made, like such a relief. And I was like, yeah, it seems really strange to me that people really want to have a house, right? Like I don't get it because there's heaps of risk with that. Like one, like you, we see it in Australia all the time. Like at the moment, there's so many like insurance claims for like flood issues um, and like, you know, my thoughts and um, wishes go out to people who've been through that. It sounds horrendous. Like I know people who are personally affected by like, pretty badly like new renovations that have been like destroyed and 
the flood stuff is horrible, right? The same with fires. Like I've grown up where there's like a bushfire almost every year. Um, and I had, again, I know people who've had their houses burnt down. So I'm like, to me, having a brick and mortar asset isn't not risky. Like it's, it, to me, my personal opinion of that risk is, oh, that seems very risky. Where rent, it's like, okay, cool. I, I pay a certain amount of money per week. And if something happens to that place, I don't have anything to do with it. I can walk away and just get a new place. And all I have to replace is like my my internal assets, right? Like, which I don't have heaps of stuff because I don't see the point. <laughs> so like, but then I was like, okay, so why do I have this, you know, this attitude? And I'm like, because my perception of actual risk, I guess, is different from, I think, how a lot of other people think about that I'm like where does that come from well one it comes from like privilege right like I've always had a roof over my head so and I know that you know there's been times where I'm like going through breakups I'm like oh like I have to go live at my mom's for a bit and I can just do that you know and that's a hugely hugely privileged position to come from in that sense like I am thankfully never going to be in a situation where I'm on the streets because I just have so many uh, I have such a big social network um that can help me if things go wrong, you know, and I have had people do that when things go wrong in the past. So, um, you know, I, I guess I, I don't, I don't feel that sense of like, cause I'm like, even if I didn't have my immediate family to help, I would have my extended family to help. If I didn't have my extended family, I would have my friends. If I didn't have my friends, I'd have my colleagues. If I didn't have my colleagues, I would have, you know, friends of friends. So like there's always something. And then also I live in a society where like thankfully we have things like welfare as well. So it's like there's there's kind of all these safety nets in place where taking a small risk or not taking action on something like buying a house just doesn't seem like a big deal to me at all. Um, and then I think the other thing is, is like my parents, like when I was little, like we didn't have really money or anything like my um dad ran his own business and my mom was kind of studying so like my parents had me when I was really young they were like 20 so um I was when I was little we didn't have a lot of stuff um but like by the time I was seven uh, my parents had made quite a bit of money from my property so then we went on like our first big holiday we got a new car like and I kind of I guess I saw the benefits of investment and taking risks um, in that sense. And also that my parents then both, like, especially my mum, when my mum started her business, that just really took off. So, um, and then her parents, like her mum also had her own business. So like, it's like three generations, I guess, of like running your own business. And I just, that knowledge and education and like culture and upbringing is like super, it, it, it like puts you in like one sort of mindset, right? So I think like taking a step back and examining that is quite useful when we think about taking risks because a lot of the time it's like, are we actually, it is, is not acting risky and is acting less risky than we think. There's something else that I came across. I'm just going to pull my phone up because I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I just remember seeing it. Um, like seriously, like Google risk definition, there's some pretty interesting stuff that comes up, but, um, 
there was this other one that I came across. This is on NI Business Info. It's a UK site. Um, it talks about the four main types of risk, which are strategic risk, which the example they give is a competitor coming onto the market. Um, compliance and regulatory risk, which is the example they give is introduction of new rules or legislation. Financial risk, example, interest rate rise on your business loan or a non-paying customer. And operational risk, example, the breakdown of theft or of key equipment or theft of key equipment. That's very much business focused. Um, a lot of the stuff here is business focused. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go like personal risk because I think we can do the same thing with um, categorizing our um, our personal risk, right? A lot of this talks about, okay, so on the personal risk side, this comes from invest yad nia um income risk expense risk asset risk or asset asset investment risk and debit credit risk are the four types of risk again very very like money driven but like what about things like is it more risky to get an uber or is it more risky to drive yourself you know like one of the things that I, I don't really like to drive, <laughs> I think I've talked about that on the podcast before, is it like more risky to drive yourself to work or catch a train? Is it more risky to drive to your holiday or, or catch a plane, right? Like um, often, you know, like after, after September 11, right, in 2000, a lot of people opted to drive, especially in America. They were like, so everyone was so just horrified by what happened that instead of jumping on a plane to go to the next vacation, they actually jumped in their car. And the amount of people that died is, I think this is in Freakonomics, they talk about it, but the amount of people, the amount of road accidents, the amount of deaths was much higher that year than if, um, you know, people had been taking planes, right? But our perceived risk based on, okay, you know, I don't have, maybe I don't have control of what happens. Something really bad could happen. This story was in the media. Suddenly our perceived risk is much higher. And I feel like those types of risks aren't talked about as much, right? Um, if you're interested in like kind of helping yourself to make decisions that maybe break the barriers of some assumptions, Check out the really short video I did on the seven-step decision-making process. I also did a podcast episode a while back on that. If you just look up um, seven-step decision-making, you'll find it um, on Google and YouTube. So, um, but what that helps us to do, what these decision-making processes help us to do is just put our risk, put our sense of risk back into perspective. I want to sh uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about um, the different types of assumptions I, uh, I mentioned in the beginning. But just before they do that, I'm going to give you a warning that there might be an ad here because I don't usually do that and then it's just like, ah, and I don't want to freak you out. So let's just see if Spreaker wants to put an ad in here. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99.
Okay, thanks for sitting through that. So um, let's talk about these different types of assumptions. So we basically have three different types of assumptions and I learned about this when I was doing my career development course at JCGU um, and we did, we looked at the humanistic approaches. So the first type of risk is, uh, the first type of risk, oh, I'm still stuck on risk. The first time type of assumption is the paradigmatic assumption. So don't worry, I know I said the word paradigm. I am not talking about anything to do with the woo-woo of the law of attraction at all. If you want to know my thoughts on that, I've also done a YouTube video on <laughs> breaking down the, um, the, the issues with the law of attraction. Um, if you look up the science of the law of attraction, you'll find it. Um, okay, so paradigmatic assumptions is like how we make sense of the world, how we think about, okay, like this is how this is if it's sort of like we assume this is this is how the world is, and this is how therefore I'm gonna make a sense of my experiences, why I'm experiencing these things. So an example would be something like karma. Say if you did good things and then good things happen to you, if you believe in karma, you might think, oh, that's because I did good things. You know, good deeds reap good deeds kind of thing. If you did bad things and then bad things happen, you're like, oh, okay, like, you know, this is why. Like this is why I'm experiencing this is because of this paradigm. Another one is like to link it back to last week's episode on let's talk about sex and gender is that sex and gender are the same. If you make that paradigmatic assumption that sex and gender are the same, then suddenly you're going to, so you're probably going to think differently about how to make sense of your experiences. So, oh, okay, I feel anxious around this man. Maybe that's because I'm attracted to him. It not, might not actually necessarily be the case. That's actually quite common um, for a lot of uh women, non-binary people who turn out to be interested in the same sex is they might think they're attracted to the opposite sex, like a man, because they feel nervous or because they get like some sort of weird feeling. But actually that's not attraction. That's just, and I definitely have experienced that. That's not attraction. That's the sense of like this person is like being quite pushy or really trying to, you know, um, to hook up with me so uh, I that the reason I'm experiencing this is because I'm a woman and that's who I should be with I've kind of mixed gender and sex sexual orientation there but I think you get what I mean like this concept of like I am experiencing these things because I'm a woman say like oh, I didn't I didn't um I didn't get that promotion that's because I'm a woman and that's because women don't get promoted like men do, which could actually be true. I'm not saying that it isn't, but I'm just saying that the paradigmatic assumption is like, this is why I'm experiencing this or like all men are bad. So my boyfriend treats me badly. That's because how that's the world. So I'm experiencing bad things in my relationship because that's how men are, right? Like, so paradigmatic assumptions can have a huge impact on our lives and they can also have an impact on the way we think about risk. For instance, we might go hard work. Um, well, I, I experience, uh, like I do well in life because of hard work. So hard work is what I need to get ahead. If 
I work really, really hard, then I'll get ahead. That actually kind of leads me into the other assumptions as well, but they kind of all link. So it's like, I make sense of the world, but oh yeah, that person isn't doing well. That's because they didn't work hard. That person's down on their, their luck. That's because of them. That's their fault. That's a paradigmatic assumption where you think that, okay, people who do well are people who work hard. People who don't do well, don't work hard. It has nothing to do with privilege or education or opportunities or social capital. It's just purely based on if you work hard or not. I think you get what I mean. <laughs> Let's move on to the second one. So prescriptive assumptions, prescriptive assumptions about what we should do, what is good practice. And to go along with the, the gender paradigm, so let's say um, you think sex, sex and gender are the same thing. Women behave like women because that's how they are predisposed based on their genetics. Men behave like men because of that's how they Women and men are just different. That's the paradigm you're in. And then you have the prescriptive assumption on top of that is that is uh, a good woman should want to be a mother, let's say, which, you know, hearing that like point blank like that, it's like pretty obvious that we can reject that, right? But the thing is, is it's not necessarily a very visible assumption. And it's something that like, actually, I came across heaps when I was married um, in my, you know, previous relationship to a man was like, um, okay, I should, I, like, I didn't think I should want to have kids. I had no interest in having kids with men um, and I had no interest in being pregnant. I was like, no, nah, that's just not, that's not who I am. I don't want to do that. And then people will be like, but why? Like you have such a great husband and you'll be such a good mom. And like, it, why wouldn't you want to have a kid? You know, but my husband didn't ask, get asked those questions or my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time did not get asked those questions or always about me. And actually the questions he would get asked were things like, uh, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but things like, what if your wife changes her mind? You know, what if she decides that she wants to have kids? What are you going to do? And I was like, oh, wow, there's so many assumptions about how you should live <clears throat> your life. Like people make all these assumptions about how you should live your life. Lots of people don't. But I guess probably the, the world that we were in, the people that we were hanging around reinforced that type of prescriptive assumption. And then that can be quite isolating because you sit there going, I'm surrounded all these, by all these people who almost feel like they live in a different world to me, you know. Um, so, yes, prescription is just think about it as like when someone's saying something like or you're saying to yourself, I should do that, I should do this, they should do that, to link it back to the work when it's like I should work hard, that's a prescriptive assumption. I should work hard, that's best practice for me to get ahead in life. If I don't work hard, I won't get those things. And then the final one I want to talk about is causal assumptions. So causal assumptions is like, this is about like how the world works. So when A happens, B happens, which we can also see links in. That's why I'm saying they all kind of cross over, but it's just sort of different layers almost of it. So if we were talking about the, um, the thing around work, like working hard, it's like working hard leads to higher income. A causes B. When actually like a lot of people will tell you that yeah, that working hard can get you to a certain point financially, but if you really want to do well financially, you're going to have to look at taking some calculated risks. You you can have some sense of security by working hard, but you're going to be working really hard. So having a, taking some calculated risks, investing some money, 
look, exploring opportunities of what to do with that money. Um, and actually money makes money, right? <laughs> so like, again, not a financial advisor, but just like knowing even to ask those questions can be helpful, right? And that's again, like having conversations with people that are smarter than you, like talking to the smartest person in the room, you know, listening to podcasts, reading books. I think a lot of people that listen to this show would already be doing that. So we're probably the people who are a bit ahead in, a t- in terms of a lot of this. But what I thought was really helpful about understanding these assumptions was also then understanding why certain people say what they say. I'll give you an example. Um, I put up uh, one of the clips from my show last week on YouTube and I was where it was a part where I was talking about pronouns and um, I was like, uh, I think basically I was saying, if you haven't listened to the podcast, I said something like, you know, look, like for me, I'm not, um, I'm not going to police it. Like I do prefer they, them pronouns, but then again, like sometimes I call myself she, and if, especially if I'm like I did today in today's show, if I'm referring to myself in the past tense, I'll definitely before I kind of, I guess, um, realized I was non-binary, I kind of use she for that because for me in my head, it's a very clear split of my growth journey and like where I kind of found myself more some people don't do that and, you know, that, that's a separate conversation, a separate tangent, but uh, some people don't necessarily agree with that. But for me, that's what feels right and comfortable. So to use that as an example, I put that on YouTube and then I got a comment that said something like, oh, like this is the only negative comment I've had as well. Like I had so many positive comments on LinkedIn and people reaching out and stuff. So like, you know, it, it, I don't mind, like people, people can be negative. That's that's part of the that's part of the deal with creating content right but like um (laughs) they said why would you put yourself in a separate category and you know then you're going to have to be policing why would you police it was sort of like the opposite of everything that I had said anyway so I was like okay I don't think this person got what I was talking about but that's fine um and I said you know why would you do that like if you if you do, if you keep doing that, eventually no one's going to want to interact with you. <laughs> and I, I just replied and I didn't answer any of the why questions because I was like, it's all in the video. Like I, I don't, if you don't understand, you don't understand, that's fine. Um, or you, you, you're not ready to take that on, that's fine too. But what I did respond to was the last part, which I was like, what? Because um, they said, you know, the, the part about like people not wanting to interact with you, like, oh, and then I would be alone. And I was like, well, if I, if someone didn't want to interact with me because of who I am and my pronouns, then it sounds like I've really dodged a bullet. Like, yikes. Like that's, that sounds like a very toxic person that would think that way. Right. Um, but I think that comes again through like one, I have a huge social network. I've got lots of friends and family and like, I'm not worried about someone having an issue with that, which is a privileged place to come from. And also it just, to me, highlighted this different paradigm where someone thinks that, okay, if you don't go along with like the, what the majority currently thinks, which is constantly changing anyway, if you don't go along with the stories that you were told as a child about what gender and sex is, unfortunately, because 20 years ago, we were very far behind with this stuff. 30 years ago, we were very high behind this stuff. And, you know, obviously even worse, if you go further back, um, I'm like, oh, okay. So you're operating in that, that way of thinking. So there's no point in us really having an argument because you would have to change the whole 
well, you don't have to change. You can, you can, but like for us to be talking in this on the same wavelength, we would need to be um, having this discussion at a very like, how do we make sense of the world level? And it's, I don't know, it just made me feel sad for that person because I was like, oh, like that's sad that you think that people can't be themselves and have friends. Like what what is potentially going on for you? Now, I realise that could just be like this person's a troll and they're just whatever. But I'm like, I, I don't know, it didn't come across to me like that person was trolling. It just came across like they had a very like um, limiting view, limited view that would limit them and people that are trying to influence in terms of their freedom and in terms of their um what 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 they're able to do in their lives and I was like oh that's that's a shame that's sad I I don't wish that on anyone but I also am kind of like uh, you know I, I can't change someone's mind um I think just like talking about personal experiences and stories is like you know more the more of us that do that then probably that will slowly help to to shift and then you know, I, I kind of think it's almost like the early adopters and then as the early adopters kind of go, this is actually really awesome, check out all the great things that I'm doing in my life as a result of this, then more people kind of jump on the bandwagon. So, um, yeah, I think that's all we can kind of all we can kind of do. Not that, not that anyone here asks because I'm talking to myself, but um, sometimes when I talk things through then I kind of figure out what I'm trying to say. So, Anyway, all of that to say, like, so so just to recap, we had paradigmatic assumptions, prescriptive assumptions and causal assumptions, and we didn't go too much into causal assumptions, but I think, like, that's a big part of where science also helps because science helps us to kind of debunk what causes what. Hang on, is it really that that causes what? Let's test it. Let's run it 50 times and see if the same thing happens. Oh, actually, we can't repeat that, so maybe there isn't a causal link here. Um, you know, it would be a good one to ask around the MBTI thing as well. I talked about MBTI the last couple of weeks and I've been doing some YouTube videos on it. And it's like, are these things related? Does your personality type cause certain things to happen in the real world? Have there been studies on that? Um, has there been adjustments to things based on that? Is this useful? Um, you know, that, that would be, that would be a good thing to kind of look into, right? Um, but I think the biggest thing I want to say about all of this is like unpacking all of this stuff helps us to see what's potentially holding us back, where <clears throat> maybe we're not taking a, a few calculated risks that could really pay off. <clears throat> Sorry, my um my voice is just gone. Let me just have some water. And um and I think that's really exciting because that's when we can start to break free of things that might have been why is why does it not matter what whatever I do I always end up in this situation if those things are happening if you're kind of like there's all I keep getting into these patterns then that's something to look into right because it might be that there's some underlying assumptions there that are keeping you in that way of living right um and also kind of maybe there's things that you're like oh you know I wouldn't I wouldn't put a a few grand into investing in this because, you know, what if I lose it? But then it's like, well, what are you going to use it for? Like if you're going to use it for something that, you know, is not going to get you any further, is that is that what you want to do? So I think it's just like the stories we've been told about things like wealth, health, business, um, 
there's a lot of charlatans out there. There's a lot of people saying some crazy things, but finding like good places to get advice, finding good people to help you talk through things. I mean, I'm a big advocate for like getting therapy, talking to someone else Um, in the career um, sort of avenue as well. Like the New South Wales government now has like free career development counseling sessions that you can book into. So if you're in New South Wales and you just go to like, I think it's like newsouthwales.careers.gov.au, something like that, or it could be careers.nsw.gov.au. Just look up Careers New South Wales, like NSW, you'll find it, or Careers New South Wales Gov, and you can basically go in there. It helps like walk you through um, different tools for career development, and then also you can literally book in a 20-minute session to talk through with someone and go, like, this is what I'm thinking of doing. That kind of stuff is super helpful because leaving a job is taking a risk, but staying in a job is taking a risk. Buying a house is taking a risk. Not buying a house is taking a risk. What is going to work best for you? And you're the expert in your own life, right? Like, so being able to voice things and figure out and break down, okay, what do I actually think about this stuff is so, so important. I actually, I really think if you've enjoyed this episode, I know I already said it, but definitely go check out my, it's a, it's literally like two minutes video on um, the seven steps to decision-making because you can walk through it and and figure it out yourself. So say if you're kind of like, even though I'm like going to therapy is amazing, huge advocate for it, I'm going to my appointment later today. Even though I'm like, yes, that's great. For some people, maybe that doesn't feel accessible. Maybe you don't have the funds. Maybe you're just not there yet. Um, I'd say go and go and work through the seven step decision making process yourself. It's so useful. So if there's something that you're thinking about where you're going, should I invest this money? Should I invest in this opportunity? Should I change careers? Exploding the problem and kind of going, all right, like let's let's put my rational cap on. Let's do some brainstorming. Then I can think about also how I feel about this. Um, is super useful. I've also done one on MBTI decision-making too, um, but that one's not as popular. I think the seven-step decision-making one is really clear and really accessible to everyone. So that is it from me for today. I still haven't figured out how to sign off now that it's the Stick With It podcast, but um, thanks for listening. Uh, One thing I am going to be doing in the next few weeks is sort of figuring out on my website a little bit more. So um. I think what I'm going to do is create a little gift for you guys, for my listeners, and put it on my laurencrest.com site. That's where you'll be able to access it from um, in exchange for your email. Yes, there is a bit of a transaction there because I want to start getting to know my audience better. And the best way for me to do that is have some way of contacting you. So um, my privacy terms and stuff are all up there as well, but I'll give you a gift to say thank you for trusting me. Um, and subscribing to my uh, newsletter. And then, um, yeah, I want to I want to do some cool stuff with that in the next few months. So, yeah, have a great weekend and um, or week, depending on when I put this up. And, um, yeah, I'll chat to you next time. Oh, I also won't be here next week because it's Easter, so I'll be here the week after that. Oh, have a great Easter if you celebrate Easter. Um, I know Greek Easter is at a different time. But if you are celebrating the um, the Roman Catholic Easter, then, uh, yeah, enjoy the chocolate. All right. Cheers, guys. Bye. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. <sighs> 
Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. 